This is Pastor Derek Thomas of Living Witness Ministries, and I want to welcome you to the Living Word Podcast. I pray that today's teaching blesses you, inspires you, and encourages you to live a life worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we serve. God bless. Um, scripture today for our message is found in the New Testament in the first letter that Paul wrote to his protege Timothy. We're going to be looking at the fourth chapter and we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 16. I'll be reading from the New King James Version of God's Holy Word this morning. And what you'll find written there reads in this fashion. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the leadership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. As we speak this morning to the subject, the heart of the matter. Amen. The the heart of the matter. This series is designed to give us clarity on the precious gift that God has given us in the form of ministry. And the thing about God is that everything that he does, he does by example. He's not asking us to do anything that he was not willing to do when he was God in flesh. And the greatest gift that one could ever give is the gift of themselves, which is fueled and driven by love. And that's the overarching theme of this message. So as I asked the Lord where to begin, he led me to a passage of scripture that's very, very familiar to me, very, very personal to me. And that the passage of scripture that I just read to you is actually the the, the, the core mission scripture of this ministry. It's the essence of what this ministry is all about. And as I look at the essence, I I think about the many gifts that God has given. And and one of the greatest gifts that God gave was was, uh, uh, Pastor Don when I first got here. Pastor Don made me feel welcome. Pastor Don welcomed me not knowing fully what I'd be walking into and coming here to do the work of ministry. But as every good protege has a mentor, Lord blessed me with Pastor Don to give me the insight and the wisdom on how to maneuver and how to work in doing the work of ministry that is here because there is a work that needs to be done and God is using us in this vein to teach each of us how to go forth and do the work of ministry. Paul here is the age and experienced apostle in this text and he's writing to the young pastor Timothy who was facing a heavy burden of responsibility in the church at Ephesus. The task indeed was challenging for him. 
he was dealing with false doctrine. He was dealing with, with, with public worship being safeguarded. He was dealing with the, the maturation of leadership and developing that. And he was doing it all against a framework of being a new pastor himself and, and, and his ears still being wet behind them and trying to figure out how to maneuver through all this stuff. In addition to, to the conduct of the church, Paul talked pointedly to Timothy about the conduct of the minister. Timothy had to be on his guard unless he fell prey as a result of his youthfulness to the impulse that comes with it. What he didn't want to do is become a liability, but instead he wanted to be an asset used by God in order to share the gospel. The key, the key thing that, that Timothy had to remember here is that he had to be careful to avoid false teachers and greedy motives and instead pursue righteousness and godliness faith, love, perseverance, and the gentleness that befits a man of God. And God is calling us in this hour and this day to do the same thing. Because what was being offered here in this text by Paul to Timothy is a <laughs> scriptural summation of the heart of the matter of ministry. The multitude of facets that Paul touches upon in his explanation of ministry to Timothy in this text was overwhelming for Timothy to say the least by man's standards when you're being told you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this and he was only 20 something he's like wait I got to safeguard and make sure that people grow I got to make sure that that I tear down false doctrine I got to uh, uh, deal with the, the idiosyncrasies and attitudes of people I got to do all this with a smile knowing that people are going to talk about me and on top of all that I still got to make sure that myself and I, I've got to be covered and centered and God said, yes, that's exactly what you have to do. But take heart and take comfort in knowing that you're not alone. I'm with you. By God's standards, these facets that Timothy thought were impossible made up the bedrock of the heart of ministry, which is housed ultimately in God's word. And today, many believers find the task of effective ministry in their day-to-day -day living just as daunting as Timothy found this mandate as it was presented to him by Paul. And this mandate ultimately can leave us asking questions like, how can I as a believer walk wisely and know what the will of God looks like in my own life? I got enough stuff going on. And the beauty of God is that he knows exactly what we've got going on because he's allowing it to happen. But he's allowing it to happen in order, prepare, in order to prepare and equip us to understand the foundational truth that's housed in giving the gift. A gift is not given based on the premise of what you're going to get because that's selfishness. But a gift, the true gift is given based on the premise of the love that we have for the one to whom we're giving the gift. We're not giving it for our own pleasure and joy, but we're giving it to be a blessing to others that they might receive joy and that we might rejoice in the fact they've received what we already have. So our text today gives us clarity in this matter as the will of God is explicitly revealed to us in the pages of his word and his desire is for it to beat in each of our hearts through our understanding and execution of it in our daily living. God didn't create us and place us here on earth to live for ourselves but he created us and placed us here in the earth to pour ourselves out in the lives of others. Ministry translated literally means to help. God created each of us to be a help and a blessing to one another. This is why the word says that no man or woman is an island. 
Nobody can do this on their own. There are no lone rangers in God's army. Contrary to popular belief, there are no lone rangers in God's army. One saying I like to say just in jest to people when they do stuff that, that just rubs me the wrong way, I tell them in joking, I said, this is why Batman works alone. He don't have to deal with the idiosyncrasies of people. But I say it in jest because I understand that in the, in the position that I stand, in the, in, in the office that I feel, in the work that I do, that, that my job and my calling is to interface with people of all different walks of life and to help them see and understand that we indeed serve a risen Savior that's in the world today and he's alive in me and his desire is to give the life that he's given to me to you that you might be blessed and be filled with that same joy. That's the heart of the matter. That's what gets my blood flowing in the morning. That's what gets my heart pumping each day that I don't feel like getting up and getting out. I have to remember that the life that I have, that the life that I live is not my own, but it's been bought with a price. It belongs to God. We have to understand today that the message here is to help us understand that it's God's will for us to be some things. It's God's will for us to not only survive in this life, but it's God's will for us to thrive in the midst of our living. And in order to thrive in the midst of our living, there are some aspects of life that we have to remember constantly. And there are some aspects of life that we have to demonstrate daily so that God can use us to make a difference in the lives of others. It's kind of like shopping. My, my fiance and I went out shopping on Black Friday. Yeah, we were actually out there in it. And in going out shopping on Black Friday, we realized that, that, that all kinds of people are out shopping. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you have. All types of people were out shopping. And the thing that I found fascinating while we were out is that in the midst of the hustle and bustle, everybody was doing what they were doing, but everybody was single-minded and single-purposed. And that soul mind and that soul purpose was finding that one special gift for somebody and finding that one special gift for somebody at a great deal. We all love great deals. We all want, dare I say, something for nothing or as close to nothing as we can get it. And I thought about the concept of our first thing because the first thing that God wants us to be is he truly wants us to be saved. When I think about what salvation cost me in relation to what it cost God, I'm like, wow, that in and of itself was a greater deal than I could ever find out in the world on Black Friday. Because all Christ asked me to do was believe in him. If I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, as the word says, and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I would be saved. I didn't have to physically get up and, and, and do anything. I didn't have to take any money out of my pocket. I didn't have to go and, 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 and shake hands with people that maybe I didn't care for. I didn't have to go and do anything that would physically leave me uncomfortable. I just had to make a conscious decision to receive the gift that was given to me. In our text, Paul is admonishing Timothy to not follow the solemn words of non-believers that don't understand the change from within that's taken place to deter him from his active declaration of faith through his living. The enemy would love nothing more than for us to 
not believe that the deal that we got is real. One thing I deal with at work in working with my team is chargebacks. And what a chargeback is in sales is when you sell something, you get a commission for it. And they have what's called a look back period. There's a window of time that they go back, that if customers come back within that window of time and they decide they don't want the services that were sold to them, they can come back and cancel. And what happens is the individual that sold it to them gets hit with what's called a chargeback, meaning the gains that they got in the form of commissions for that sale, they get taken back because that individual that purchased decided they didn't want it anymore. So usually what I do as a manager is that when that happens and someone comes in, the first question I ask is, well, why do you not want it? Is it price? Is it product? Is it poor customer service? What's the problem? And what I find is that in most every case, it's a matter of not fully understanding what they have, which means we just have to do a better job of clarifying. But every now and then, we get that individual. Every now and then, we get that individual that's fallen prey to the same thing that Timothy fell prey to here in this message. We get that individual that has something that's called buyer's remorse. Well, I talked to a friend of mine and they said that the deal I got really wasn't that great a deal. Or, you know what, I talked to my wife or I talked to my husband and they said, you know, you, we really could have done better. That person really didn't give you a great value. Or, you know what, I sat down, this is the dangerous one, this is where we fall prey. I sat down and realized, when I really started thinking about it and started consulting with myself, I came to the conclusion that, you know what, I, I don't think this is really for me. That's what, this is where it's dangerous because the Bible says that a double-minded individual is unstable in all of their ways. And there's nothing that you can do in that instance, in the natural, about buyer's remorse because, catch this, their mind has already been made up based on the outside information that what they have is not a great deal. So they're not going to bother to pursue it. And this is what the enemy likes to try to do with us concerning salvation. The enemy would like nothing more than to come along on a day that I'm rejoicing and praising God because of the blessing and the gift that he's given me because of the something that he's given me and, and for nothing in relation to, to, to my work because he had to go hang on the cross. All I had to do was confess with my mouth and believe in my heart. But the devil will come in with, with situations or circumstances. I might make a misstep. I might say a crossword. I might have a thought that's not pleasing to God. And here comes the thoughts. Well, you know you really never were saved anyway. You weren't saved because if you were saved, how could you be a man of God and you had this thought? How could you be a man of God and you did this deed? How could you be a man of God and you said this in this instance? How could you be an example? And this is what Paul is admonishing. To admonish means not only to tell you, but to come alongside and help you. And this is the heart of the matter of ministry. God has not called us to only stand on the sidelines with pom-pom saying, yeah, I'm in your corner. But he's called us to roll our sleeves up and come alongside and help our brothers and sisters. The Bible lets us know if we run across an individual that's overtaken and a fault, those of us which are spiritual should come alongside and restore that individual. Because it's only by God's grace that it's not us. I would extrapolate it to say that at some point in time it will be us and we'll need someone to come alongside us and help us. 
Like Timothy, we too have to be reminded that we're more than the sum of our failures. And in fact, went through these failures in preparation for our season of use in this hour. God doesn't make junk. And sometimes the distresses that we have, like in leather and like in other precious skin fabrics, they're there to bring character to what it is that you're looking to buy. An individual that walks in a leather store to get a leather jacket appreciates the character, appreciates the blemishes, appreciates the stretch mark, appreciates that spot in, a, in, in an unseemly place because it gives that jacket character. It makes it unique. It makes it one of a kind. So when they put that jacket on, people that see it don't look at it as junk. They don't look at it is an also ran they look at it as fashion they look at it as something of value why is it that people get it in the world when they want to spend carnal money about it but when it comes to us as believers we don't understand that the scars that we have from battle are not eyesores but they're badges of honor that God has given us to use to draw souls to the kingdom Peter put it this way in his second letter in the third chapter verse 9 the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the payoff. God has created us as imperfect beings, as imperfect people, as sinners saved by grace, so that we could go out and be used by him to find those souls that we're the perfect gift for, that we're the perfect vessel for, to sit on the shelves of their hearts and their lives, to give them the gift of salvation, to make a difference, because God doesn't want anybody to perish, but he wants everybody to have everlasting life. He doesn't want anybody to be on his naughty list, but he wants all of us to partake in the joy of eternal life. What we have to understand and realize is that God desires us to not only talk about being saved, but truly live lives that are saved. Live lives that reflect the salvation that we profess to have. Live lives so that people can see, hey, look at the deal I got. Because when I get a great deal, I tell everybody about it. I don't get a great deal on something and don't tell anybody about it. Hey, man, look, let me tell you about the deal I got on this car. Let me tell you about the deal I got on these clothes. Let me tell you about the deal I got from the store. You need to go there and get that because if I got it, you got it. Because I care enough about you to want you, have the, you want you to have the very best like I have the very best. This is the mindset that God desires us to be in. This is the heart of ministry. Ministry is not selfish. Ministry is selfless. God desires us to share. He desires us to pour ourselves out. As we said last week, pour ourselves out to the point of being expended. So that he then could come in and refill us anew to go out and be a blessing again. Therefore, we must be willing witnesses of God, willing witnesses of God's salvation in word and deed in order to make a life-changing difference in others. We got to realize like the signs broadcast in the stores that we saw when we went out shopping, we got to realize that this is not only a Black Friday sale, but this is an everyday opportunity, an everyday chance to receive the this free gift of salvation, an everyday opportunity for us to go out and help people see the value of eternal life. Help people see the value and the cost, which is nothing of this gift. It's a free gift. 
Don't leave the free gift sitting on the table. It's our job to let other people know there's a free gift sitting on the table for you that will change your life. First Timothy, Timothy said earlier in the letter, in verses 3 and 4, or Paul rather said in, in, in earlier in the letter to Timothy in verses 3 and 4 in chapter 2, for this, which is salvation, is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires each and every one of us to be walking, talking, living advertisements for the free gift that is salvation to those that don't have salvation. If you had a dollar for every commercial that you saw come on TV on the Monday before Thanksgiving about the sales that were going to be happening the Friday after Thanksgiving, everybody in here will be rich because those ads run in mass. They run in super abundance. Why? Because they want to get the message out like never before. They want people to be so sick of hearing the message that in order to shut them up, they go out and do some shopping. We need to get that tenacious about sharing the word. We need to get that tenacious about letting people know about the free gift that is salvation, about doing the work of ministry, so that like the highlighted portion in this text says, uh, in this verse rather says, who God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why they broadcast those messages the way they broadcast them in such heavy rotation, because they want to reach everybody. They don't want anybody to be left out. In a perfect world, they want every single person that has more than $5 in their pocket to be in a store somewhere. Whether it's Macy's or Dollar Tree, they want you somewhere spending some money. And from what I saw on the news, it works. Because on the news last night, one of the stories that I saw is that this Black Friday weekend, and the, and the weekend wasn't even over yet, has been so far the most lucrative Black Friday weekend, weekend in recent history, which means the consistency and the persistence of the message made an impact. So that let me know that God did tap into something in the spirit. If we can be just as tenacious, if we can be just as persistent, if we can be just as diligent about letting people know about salvation and letting people know about Christ and letting people know that you have a free gift waiting for you and you don't need to delay, you need to step out and get it today. And all you've got to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You don't even have to worry about dialing in the Amazon. You don't have to worry about paying no shipping costs. You don't have to worry about signing up for anything. There is no loyalty program because God still closer than any brother all you've got to do is make up your mind and make up in your heart that you're going to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it and guess what all these personal loyalties are yours it costs you nothing nothing more than the willingness to receive why would we not want to be tenacious about that? Why would we not want to be adamant about that? Why would we not want to spend every waking moment of every single day letting everyone that we meet know that God is able to change your life just like that? Which leads us to our second point. Not only is it God's will that we be saved, but it's God's will that we be spirit-filled. Because in the heart of the matter of ministry, this is something that we can't do 
on our own. There's no way we could do this by ourselves. We couldn't. We can't. Look at what it says here in verses 14 and 15. It says here, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. What progress? Look at what it says in the first two verses. The progress of no one despising their youth, but instead being an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity until he comes. Which means we got to be consistent in doing this thing. And the consistency in doing this thing is not something that comes from without. It's not something that comes from the outside. Your physical ability will fail you. Your mental capacity will fail you. Your verbal command of language and, and, and acuity in speech will fail you. But God never fails. When I'm at the gym and I'm tired and I've been there an hour, hour and a half, and I know I still got two more sets to go on this machine, I'll get about halfway through it and my body says it's enough. It's enough. There's nothing more I can do. But if I stop there, a funny thing wouldn't happen. Growth happens when you come to the end of yourself. When I have nothing left in my mind, that's where something on the inside, my will kicks in, and that that I thought I couldn't do, I find myself doing. And when that happens, I might be sore for a few days, but after the pain goes away, gains are taking place. Something has changed. I have a greater capacity to do. I look different. I feel different. My ability to do is different. That's how God designs us to be. We've got to get out of our mindset and realize that we're spirit-filled and spirit-fueled. In our text, Paul is encouraging Timothy here to stir up the gifts that lie within him as a result of the anointing that the Holy Spirit has filled him with and placed upon his life in order to overcome the spiritual obstacles that the enemy has placed in his life to separate him from his destiny. That's the enemy's job. Remember, the enemy's job is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But God's job is he came that he might give us life and he might give it to us more abundantly. In other words, he's like, I want you to have the gains. In every area. I want you to have the gains in your finances. I want you to have the gains in your family. I want you to have the gains in your faith. I want you to have the gains in the fruit that you have. I want you to physically be bigger and better. Spiritually be bigger and better. Emotionally be bigger and better. Mentally be bigger and better. I want you to be bigger and better. I want people to look at you and say, man, you've been working out, huh? And I can say, yes, I have. I've been on my knees in prayer. I've been in my word studying. I've been out fellowship. And I've been doing the work of ministry. So in putting the work in... You get the gains as a result of it. Timothy was a great example to us that we too got to be encouraged to remember the degree of power that lies within us. We have a measure of power that's called dunamis power. That dunamis means, it's a Greek word that means God-given power. We have a God-given power once we say yes to Jesus and we're saved, we're filled with his Holy Spirit, that gives, which is the same spirit that dwelled in Christ, that gives us the capacity to do as the word says, exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think as a result of our profession of faith in Christ. Because we've tapped into the power that's at work in us. 
Because the power that's at work in us is the power that gives us the capacity to do more than in and of ourselves we could do. One of my cousin's favorite songs that she sang and still sings today, but she sang it in our choir when I was growing up, was God Specializes. And I remember, I, I still hear it in my head as clear as a bell right now. God specializes in things that seem impossible. And he'll do with no other power she that live and put in Holy Ghost power can do. And it amazes us what we have the capacity to do when we realize that it's not us that's doing it. Because we can be going through the reps of doing the work of ministry and we can get up on a day where physically we may not feel like it. We may not physically feel well. We may not mentally be where we need to be. Emotionally, we might be a wreck. Psychologically, we might not be all there. But God takes us in those instances and he uses us in the most powerful way because in those instances, once we understand who he is and we allow the Holy Spirit to take over, we become the vessels that the word talks about that God desires to use. And that's when he empties us out and fills us up with his spirit and uses us to do as the word says exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or even think that's like me at the gym going past what I thought was my maximum weight into a realm that I've never been into because it's not me it's not the physical me doing it anymore it's something on the inside that's driving me to be stronger that's driving me to be better that's driving me to, to, to do what I need to do to remember why I'm doing what I need to do for me when I go to the gym I'm doing it because my life is at stake my health is at stake the healthier I stay the less medication I have to take in a spirit realm this is where we've got to be our lives are at stake not only our life but the lives of our brothers and sisters that we love because we're saved by God and filled with the Holy Spirit so every time we knock on a door that's a rep that we're pressing through every time that we pray for somebody that's a rep that we're pressing through every time we offer a word of encouragement that's a rep that we're pressing through because it's not by our own power but it's by the power of the greater one that lives on the inside of us and that's what strengthens us. That's what gives us the drive. That's what gives us the rush of doing these things. Because it's not about pleasing ourselves. It's about pleasing God. This is why we must be bold witnesses for God in order to pull down strongholds and lift up the power and might of God in order to impact the lives of others. It's put this way by Paul in his letter to the church of Ephesus. This letter Paul wrote to the church that Timothy is pastor. So he wasn't only communicating to the pastor, but he was communicating to the people too. And this is what he told the people concerning being spirit-filled. He told them in verses 17 and 18 in Ephesians 5, Do not be foolish concerning the power at our disposal. But understand what the will of the Lord is as it pertains to the work of ministry in our lives. And do not get drunk or disillusioned with man's wine. Because that's dissipation. But instead be filled with the Spirit. In other words, what God is saying, we have to be sober and be mindful of what he's given us in the form of this power. Because power that falls into the wrong hands could be just as destructive as power that's in the right hands can be restorative. What do I mean by that? I mean that the words that we speak 
carry either death or life. Because the Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the ability that the wielder of it has to use it for either good or evil. So every opportunity that we, every opportunity that we get when we meet somebody that's, that's, that's made us mad, every opportunity that we get when we meet somebody that seeks to discredit what we're doing, every opportunity that we get when we're given the choice of saying something to make our flesh feel good or to make our father look good, every time we're given that opportunity, we have to make the conscious, sober decision that it's not about us, but it's about God. Jesus was meek, but people think that meekness means weakness, and it doesn't. Meekness is power under control. God desires us to walk in meekness, to walk with the power that we have under control, keep, keeping the discipline about ourselves in times where we could obliterate somebody with what we have to say and be in the right doing it. We have to maintain and keep our flesh in check enough to speak the truth in love to that individual. And even if it's a word of rebuke, do it from a position of love, not from a position of getting even. When Santa Claus sits down, we tell our children about Santa Claus, and we sit down, we tell them, you know, he, he, he's, he's seeing who's naughty and he's seeing who's nice, and there are lists on both sides. And the nice kids get the gifts, the good gifts. And the naughty kids get the bad gifts. And we, we, you know, at one point in time, I told my boys, you know, we want you to get good gifts. We don't want you to get lumps of coal underneath the Christmas tree. Knowing full well, I'm not going to go buy no coal anyway. I wasn't going to do that. But it's interesting when we look at that, <coughs> excuse me, we look at that analogy from a spiritual perspective. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that, that our very best the works that we do are nothing more than filthy rags to God. Which means if God were keeping a naughty and nice list, there'd be only one name on the nice list. And that's the name of Jesus Christ. So all of our names, based on who we are, are on the naughty list. But here's the payoff of being spirit-filled, which is why we want to tell people about this and let people know by the spirit of what they can have. Through the Holy Spirit and through us accepting and receiving Christ, our name is translated from the naughty list to the nice list because the name of Jesus Christ is like a zip file. And what a zip file is, if you know anything about computers, is that if you click on the link to a zip file and it opens up, you get all these files contained in the zip file. And you and I are files in that zip file. Your name and my name are found when, when, when God looks in the nice list and he sees the name of Jesus Christ and he clicks on the button of the sacrifice that he made and he reads up and down the list of who to bless and who to anoint and who to keep. He sees our names there, not because of who we are, but because of the hope of glory that lives in us because of the Christ that's in us. That's why we have to be adamant about telling people about this free gift. That's why we've got to be bold witnesses because we serve a bold God that was bold enough to make a way for us to be saved when we didn't deserve to be saved. If we went based solely on our actions like it's supposed to go with the Santa Claus story, we'd all get the ultimate coal of 
damnation and, and being sentenced to hell. But like all of us with the children that we love, we find mercy in the midst of the justice and still wind up, at least I did, still wind up getting the kids something. They may not have been ideal across the year, but you know what? Catch this. Because they're my children and, and I love them, I still want them to know that they are special. God needs us to love our brothers and our sisters in the same fashion, not because of what they've done, but because of who they are. We have an obligation to share the very best gift that we can with them. We have an obligation to give them the gift of life through Christ, to give them the opportunity to be spirit-filled through Christ, to give them the opportunity to tap into that power to make a difference in the lives of others as God makes a difference in their lives. This is the heart of ministry. The heart of ministry is selfless. The heart of ministry is about multiplication, not division. The heart of ministry is about increase not decrease, which leads us to our last point. Not only is it God's will that we be saved, not only is it God's will that we be spirit-filled, but lastly, it's God's will that we be sanctified. Amen? We be set apart. In verse 16, it says, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. In other words, realize you ain't like everybody else. Realize you've been set apart for a specific work at a designated time. Kind of like when you go out shopping on Black Friday and you find the gift. You find the gift. Catch this. But you don't have the money to pay for the gift in full at that point in time. So you find this little thing called layaway. And what layaway does, it allows you to get the gift and set it aside so that anybody that comes along is told by the powers that be, uh-uh, you can't touch this one. This one, catch this. This one's set aside because it's been bought with a price. A deposit's been put down for this one. So no matter how attractive you think this one is, this one you can't have because it's been set apart. It's been sanctified. It's been set apart because a deposit has been paid for that one. And the one that ultimately is going to own that one is coming back for that one to pay the balance. In our text, Paul is exhorting Timothy to carry himself differently because in fact he is different. He is different. Timothy can't live like everybody else because God has put his hand on Timothy. Timothy's been called to the office of pastor. When you're called into a specific work, you may look like everybody else. You might sound a little bit like everybody else, but you understand down in your knower that you're not like everybody else. You've been set aside. You've been set apart. People may want to come for you a certain way, but God won't allow it because like that gift in layaway, there's a deposit that's been put on that man. There's a deposit that's been put on that woman. There's an anointing that's been put in that individual. There's a seed that's in that individual that God put there. 
And if God put it there, only God can deal with that. Only God can handle it. The enemy can try to jostle it in such a way in the hopes that it, meaning us, will jump off the shelf ourselves. Because if that happens, we're fair game. But as long as we're in his protection, as long as we're set apart and sanctified for him, the enemy can come in like a flood, as the word says. But God's going to lift up a standard against it because we belong to him. Like Timothy, we have to realize and remind ourselves that we're indeed peculiar people that are members of a royal priesthood and part of a holy nation. We're not like everybody else. We're that gift on the shelf. We hop down like the elf does on the shelf. You don't know where we're going to pop up, but we pop up somewhere. And wherever we pop up, we pop up with the good news. We pop up with the gospel. We pop up with the intent of changing lives. We pop up with the intent of making an impact. We pop up with the intent of modifying the atmosphere. Then when God is done with us, he takes us and puts us back on the shelf until he chooses to put us somewhere else. Because the deposit has been paid for us. Because when we said yes to Jesus, we signed off on the terms and conditions. We became ransom for him. So he then took us because the deposit had been paid and he put us on the shelf where all of his gifts are. Where all of his vessels are. We became vessels for his use and for his glory to be used as he wills. So when he wills to take us and pour us out in an area, when he wills to take us and use us to make a difference in a region, when he wills to take us and, and, and allow us to be a blessing to a people, we don't do it for our glory, we do it for his glory. Because we understand that people are going to look at us. And that's all right, because we know that we're peculiar people. We understand that people may try to have reverence for us, but we send the reverence to where it belongs. We're part of a royal priesthood. We're the lineage of it, but we're not the one to be worshipped. God is the one to be worshipped. We're just a member of the holy nation, and we're trying to get you to be a member too. Because the citizenship requirements are simply that. You confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You can be saved. You can be spirit-filled. You too can have a mansion built for you. You too can live where the street is paved with gold. You too can be in a place where you can worship God day and night. You too can be somewhere where there's no more sickness. There's no more death. There's no more divorce. There's no more family struggle. There's no more strife. There's no more strain. There's no more stress. You too can have that. That very thing. You just got to realize that when you say yes to Jesus, a deposit's been put down. And the one thing about God is that He always pays His debt. He always comes back for what belongs to Him. You don't believe me? Think about the parable of the talent. When Jesus gave the parable, he talked about the man that had five talents, the man that had three talents, the man that had one talent. The men that had five and three talents respectively, they did what God is calling us to do. They went out and used their talents in the marketplace and they doubled the investment that was made on them for the master. But far too many of us do what the individual with the one talent does. We take the talent that we've been given, we bury it in the ground, afraid that it's going to be taken away, afraid that we're going to fall prey to those solemn speakers, afraid that we're going to be deterred, afraid that we're going to lose what we've been given, so we're just going to hold on to it and sit on it, and then when the master comes, he's going to be like, what did you do with what I gave you? I gave you everything that you needed. I gave you my son, and I gave you the gifts and talents that you needed. What did you do with them? I could have did what you did with them. God gave them to us with the intent of them being multiplied. 
and he had a safety net for us. We didn't have to worry about losing him because when he was done using us, he was going to put us back on the shelf because we were set apart. We were in the don't touch that room, like the layaway. No matter how good it looks through the glass, devil, you can't touch it because that's set aside. That's sanctified. But that belongs to God. You can't touch that. You can't go into God. Catch this. The enemy cannot go into God's presence unless he's invited in by someone that's in God's presence. If God hasn't invited the enemy in, he can't come in. So the enemy can do all he wants to do on the other side of the glass. But unless we invite the enemy through the glass, all he can do is look and make noise. That's why it says he roams about, roams to and fro like a roaring lion. He sounds like one, he looks like one, but if you get closer upon closer review, he has no teeth. He has no capacity to do anything to hurt us. Any wound that comes as a result of the enemy is self-inflicted because we've allowed the enemy to come in. So we must be living witnesses at all times in order to draw others out of the darkness of sin and death and into the precious gift of light and eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's the upshot. That's the heart of ministry. The heart of ministry is to go out into the world, searching in the midst of the darkness, to find that one on that day to give that gift. Not for us, but for them. Then we find that individual, we give that gift, we rejoice in what God has done, we go home and thank God for it, we get replenished and renewed, and we go out and do the same thing the next day. And the same thing the day after that. And the same thing the day after that. That's the heart of ministry. On days we don't feel like doing it, it stops being a mental thing, a physical thing, and it starts being a spiritual thing. Because it's not about us, it's about God. Peter put it this way, and I'm, I'm done in his first of two general letters he put it this way in chapter 2 verses 13 through 15 submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as a one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right but such is the will of God in other words whoever it is you find yourself before be a living witness of Christ. Whether it's a king, whether it's a governor, whether it's what man decides, man decrees, or nobody. You, you be a living witness of God before everybody that you meet. You be a living witness of the one that can change lives at the point of decision. You make it the heart of the matter every day that your life is going to be a life that's lived on godly purpose. As we seek to do this, we'll tap into the heart of the matter of ministry and realize that the gift of ministry is truly a gift that keeps on giving. As Pastor Don gave to me my first day here, my desire is to continue to give not only to you but to everyone that I meet because the gift that he gave me that day was a seed that has blossomed and grown into the core mission of this ministry. This message, as I said from the outset, was personal because this message is the heart of this 
ministry. If you look at a description of this ministry in the vision of it, this passage of scripture is the heart and soul of this ministry. It exists for the purpose of sharing the good news. It exists for the purpose of practically meeting people in a real way to help them see God in a real light to show how he can make a real difference. I challenge you to live your life in such a fashion and watch how God blesses and moves through your willingness to live uplifting the heart of the matter. Amen. We thank and praise God for his word on today and we thank and praise God for the work that he's given us to do because indeed the work is divine. I pray that you were blessed by today's word. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. If you've never taken the opportunity to do either one of those things, won't you join me now in prayer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you a sinner. I believe that you sent your son to die that I might live. I believe that he lived, died, rose again, ascended to heaven, and is coming back for sinners just like me. I confess my sin, I ask you into my heart, and I ask you into my life. Thank you, Lord, that by faith I am now saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like to welcome you into the household of faith and into a loving relationship of salvation with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please email me and let me know of your experience or if you have any prayer requests or praise reports, please email me. The email address is livingtowitness at gmail.com. That's living, the number two, witness at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Pastor Derek Thomas encouraging you to live your life as a living witness.